an evil so horrible, so terrible, that even those who believe in it believe it's bad luck to even mention its name. So, of course, Eric, we're going to talk about it. Bad juju. In the Southwest, the native peoples, they believe in a, a creature, or a person, called the Skinwalker, an evil witch that can transform and take animal shape and brings bad luck to even those who would dare speak the name. Which you've done several times already, Bill. And we're probably going to do it again. Oh, my goodness. So tonight, we're going to talk about skinwalkers. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten, and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. So, Eric, tonight as we discuss skinwalkers... There you did it again, Bill. A couple of things I want to say. I want to start with one. We mean no disrespect to the cultures that believe in skinwalkers. Absolutely. Uh, we understand that these are things that are not meant to be discussed, but I would think with what we do on this podcast, the level to which we dig into it, I think we're going to, I think we can talk about them and we mean no disrespect. I think everybody who listens to our podcast knows that we, we try to be very we try to be respectful. very respectful. Absolutely. Yeah. And we encourage listeners not to ask questions of those who believe. This is something they don't wish to discuss with outsiders. They, um, For their safety and for the safety of those hearing the stories, they don't want to discuss them. And so if you're listening to our podcast, please understand that, that the native people don't, don't wish to discuss these yeah, things. Yeah, by all means, don't, don't go up to their doorsteps and, and, and go out and ask questions about it. That is being disrespectful. Please don't do that. So according to the Navajo culture, the skinwalker is a type of harmful witch. It has the ability to turn into, possess, or disguise themselves as an animal. Um, this is a term that they never use for healers. This is only for, for an evil, harmful entity. In the Navajo language, the, one of the words they use is yi naldelushi, uh, and it translates to, by means of it, it goes on all fours. This seems to be the most common example we see in pop culture and horror movies and, and literature now. Uh, this is only one of several types of skinwalkers recognized by the Navajo. Uh, specifically, the type that we talk about is the, or that will, specifically the type that we're probably going to be talking about, I think mostly, it, it goes by the name Antaijini. But Navajo witches represent the antithesis of Navajo cultural values. This is the opposite of what the Navajo people believe in, the, the values they embrace, and that, that is why this is an evil thing. You don't want to talk about evil. To talk about evil is to give evil power in a lot of belief systems. Especially like with demons, you know, you never speak a demon's name, you know, it's recorded because you're giving it power. Right? Yeah. Along those same lines. Witches, in this case, are seen as evil, and they perform twisted ceremonies and pervert the good works of medicine that, that the Navajo people do encourage and embrace. And like a lot of traditions, in order to practice good works, traditional healers do learn about both good and evil magic, and some become overwhelmed by the temptation of evil's perceived power, and they become corrupt, and they choose to become witches. Now, again, as you touched upon, shape-shifting itself is considered by the Navajo evil. You know, that is unnatural. It's an unnatural ability uh, to a point, you know, as you said, most will never talk about it. They don't want to talk about it, address it, you know, give it power. 
as you said, you know, it, it invokes bad luck, possibly even death uh, by mentioning it. But because of this, a lot of the stories that we're going to dive into, you're going to find kind of has different twists, different origins, if you will, because it is not a story that has been well documented for that reason. The Navajos don't want it documented. So some of the stuff that we're going to talk about tonight, you're going to say, well, that's that's a little different than what I have heard. Or you'll see in any kind of your research, you're going to see those different variances. And I think that's a big reason of why. Well, yeah, like you said, especially with this story where this is something the Navajo don't like to talk about and they don't like, especially with outsiders. So, yeah, like you said, it's not well documented. The stories we're going to tell, I mean, they just vary by person to person, account to account. It truly is handed down verbally and sketchy at best. As a matter of fact, I believe J.K. Rowling in one of her books talks about some Native American traditions, maybe even the, the skinwalker itself, and a, a representative of the Navajo Nation was just like, look, we hate it when you do this. You know, this is our traditions. This is our history. And when you do this, you know, they they feel like it diminishes the, the story, which I completely understand. But again, I don't think we're getting into this in any level of detail. Right. But, and, and again, we mean no disrespect. Now, I, I will say in here, I think part of that reason, and this is just to stress the importance of why the Navajo don't talk about it, it it's a common belief. Again, you're going to find variations, but it's a common belief that a ritual of some sort was performed by the individual, which most likely included taking the life of a family member or a loved one to achieve that next level of power. Well, yeah, you have to you have to perform the most evil of deeds, and that is, of course, the killing of a close family member and typically a sibling in in the stories. Yeah, I mean that kind of power clearly comes with a price. Yes, and and again, that's pretty common in, in definitely stories. dark evil. Yeah. So we talk about the shape shifting aspect. There, the animals that are most commonly associated with witchcraft include trickster animals, and in Native American traditions, that's typically coyote. Uh, coyotes are usually the animal most commonly seen. Um, usually predatory animals in general. Some uh, mentions of a wolf or a fox maybe, but again, coyote is, is by yeah. far the, the trickster of the Navajo. It's also possible for the skinwalker to possess living animals or people, uh, walk around in their bodies, forcing them to say or do things they normally wouldn't. Some versions of the story, some versions of the, of the tale, if you look a skinwalker in the eyes, you'll freeze in fear, and the skinwalker will use that fear to gain power. Uh, you, skinwalkers could be male or female. Uh, skinwalkers will often need to wear the skin of the beast they wish to become, and partly because of this, the Navajo consider it taboo to wear the pelt of any predatory animal. You know, they'll wear buckskin or buffalo or, or whatever, but they, they don't wear, you know, wolf or bear or anything like that. Now, they say those that are shape-shifted are detectable by their eyes. The eyes will remain human when they're in animal form and will turn red when light is shined on them, which most animals' eyes don't turn exactly. red. Exactly. And it's also, while in human form, the eyes will look more animal-like. So you can always tell a skinwalker by the eyes. Something just doesn't quite look right. Now, you had mentioned, you know, the Navajo word for skinwalker does translate to loosely. By means of it, it goes on all fours, which obviously insinuates the creature or person would change into that of an animal with four legs. However, while this is normally a coyote, like we talked about, maybe a wolf or a fox, also, there are some tales that mention an eagle, an owl, or a hawk, which obviously, you know, does not have four legs. 
Now, you had mentioned the word witch, which I thought was interesting, not medicine man or medicine woman, but the witch, which implies that darker side. They've chosen that path of evil. And again, what do you associate some of those creatures with? A witch would be almost like a familiar, uh, an owl, a hawk, or in this case, like an eagle, again, with the, with the Native American twist onto it. Um, it's, that's obviously a little bit more rare. It's, it's not near as common. Regardless of when the creature individual is affected by the skinwalker curse, it is noticed that they become more reclusive, uh, often pulling back to maybe a cave or away from society or away from the tribe. They're seeking refuge or solace in deep forest caves or wherever away from their original home, but they don't leave that area. It's almost like there's a, a, a binding to the land of where that curse took place, maybe of where they spilt the blood of that family member or loved one. So I thought that was kind of interesting that there, there are some twists to the stories that maybe not have all fours of legs, but uh, maybe sending this out to spy or to, to gain information. Well, one of the... One of the stories I read, so they'll they'll take the animal power appropriate to what they're trying to do, or the animal shape, I should say. You know, if you want to hurt someone, you're going to take a predatory form. If you're trying to be sneaky, you might take the form of a rat. If you're trying to get somewhere quickly, it might be an eagle or a bird. So it makes it, perfectly good sense. Yeah, and All it right. depends on what you're trying to accomplish. So if you're being plagued by a skinwalker, you're going to want to take care of that problem. <laughs> Skinwalkers are notoriously hard to kill in the folklore. Uh, usually attempting to do so will result in the witch attempting to get nasty revenge upon you because, again, they're so hard to kill. Killing one does require the assistance of a powerful shaman, and that shaman will need to know the rituals and spells necessary to turn the skinwalker's evil back upon itself. Now, one version says uh, shooting one with bullets dipped in white ash are said to kill them, but the shot must hit the witch in the head or neck to be successful. And I think that white ash, it, it applies, we say bullets because, you know, that's what we're going to, you know, it's the most common weapon you can think of. But I believe that includes that arrows could, and knives. A, a blade and, or anything that could be dipped. And that white ash is something that commonly does come up. It's going to come up in one of my stories that I share later tonight as well. So I'm not, I'm not real sure. I couldn't find any direct tie of why white ash, you know, is implied that that is the kryptonite, if you will, to a skinwalker or a way to do it, you know, like with a werewolf silver. But I'm not sure what that tie is to the white ash, but definitely it's something that, that's semi-common. It comes up a lot. So modern accounts of skinwalker encounters are, are more of the trickster-like, not necessarily evil. Uh, but again, those who encounter them do treat them with a healthy dose of respect and fear and terror. So, But for example, one tale I have is of a guy who was making repairs to his home, and he began to hear human-like laughter from the nearby sheep pen. And so he goes to investigate, because as far as he knows, he's the only one there. And he finds all the sheep huddled in one corner of the pen, except for one, and, and one ram is separated from the rest of the group, and it is standing upright on its back legs in a very human fashion, laughing. Creepy. Yeah, that's not normal. <laughs> so looking the ram in the eyes, the man sees that the eyes are very human-like. So back to that, the eyes, you can tell by the eyes. I see you. And it seems like once the animal realized that the man realized what was going on, the, the ram then dropped down on all fours and casually strolled away. Nothing to see here. Now, one of the more notable tales, the one that comes up quite a bit, is, is from the 80s, and it involves a family driving through the Navajo Reservation. As they slowed around a sharp curve, something jumped from the ditch. They described it as black, hairy, and wearing a shirt and pants. Mm. A few days later, at their home in Flagstaff, Arizona, the whole family was awakened by the sounds of loud drumming and chanting outside their home. 
Uh, when they looked outside, there were the dark forms of three uh, quote-unquote men outside their fence. Now, these creatures seemed unable to climb the fence, and I guess after they had affected enough fear in the family, they just left. Now, do you think this was like a barbed wire fence or like a privacy fence or chain link says, fence? Or, it just I says mean, fence in my notes here, so I don't know I'm, what I'm, kind I'm, of fence. I'm trying to think these guys, you know, if it was barbed wire, I'd think you could just go through it. I'm, I'm envisioning something a little bit more robust, yeah. taller. Well, maybe. Hmm. I don't know, though. I mean, they had to, I would assume chain link because they said that, you know, you could see them outside the fence, so. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I have a story from uh, West Virginia. Uh, actually, it's called the Silver Giant, which is a bear creature, but it has, a, I think, a unique kind of tie-in to the Skinwalker and some of the topics that we're talking about tonight. Definitely worth mentioning. As suggested earlier, you know, with the Navajo version of the Skinwalker, it, you know, certainly the, the main origins are from the Southwest. However, as Bill and I have, have talked before we went on record, you know, especially with today's society, we have airplanes and trains and automobiles and so uh, how can you really expect it to only take place in the southwest you know well, what i mean in this day and age at least a a monster of human origin yeah there's no reason for it to be isolated to one place yeah you can just hop on a plane and fly halfway around the world so within hours i mean you know or well anyhow um deep in the state of west virginia there is a legend of what is known as the silver giant it's a somewhat of a crossbreed type of a cryptid considered half bear and half man that walks upright. It, <laughs> when you say half bear and half man, it just reminds me of the South Park man, man, bear, pig, man, bear, pig. I was thinking Smokey the bear, <laughs> but it gets its name silver giant because of the silver tipped hair that is on its body. And this is very predominant as a silver streak of fur that is visual down its back and up on its forehead. It seriously kind of looks like it has a mohawk, if you will, with a stripe running down its back. One might say it takes the hairstyle up to a, an uptrend level, even for backwoods West Virginia. But it's kind of a mullet and a mohawk mashup with a silver streak. Now, in the early 2000s, a group of cryptid hunters spent several nights seeking this silver giant. This was after some local farmers had reported uh, some cattle and goat killings. They first found what looked like to be large bear tracks. They had set several traps, some with live goats and some raw meat to help lure this creature or beast in. In two of those traps, they positioned strategically in and around an abandoned barn and kind of some sheds of this abandoned farm. Now, both times the bait went missing, the traps were sprung. However, not maybe the way in which you would think. The traps uh, that included some of the giant steel traps like that would literally capture a bear, but also some homemade swinging spiked logs that could be triggered. So we're going to go in Indiana Jones style here, but without any sign of blood or fur, these traps had been sprung. Now, to even make this a little bit more mysterious, handmade structures of grapevines and branches had been left hanging at the trap sites. Sounds like some Blair Witch kind Absolutely. of Absolutely. That's exactly where my mind went with the Blair Witch. These resembled, however, like spheres or what some might call even crescent moon shapes. Uh, they were larger, almost the size of a soccer or basketball. Uh, they were quite intricately woven from the grapevines and branches. Now, during one night during the investigation, strange animal calls were heard, along with a, a lot of commotion at a damaged metal corn silo. When the men went to investigate, they found what literally looked like a full-grown cow that had, in their words, quote, exploded inside the the corn silo and had been eaten upon. Ugh. 
unquote. That's awful. That's pretty disgusting and disturbing. That's awful. I mean, in both right, O-F-F-A-L, and, <laughs> and awful A-W-F-U-L. Now, this silo was one of those. It was about 15 foot tall. Uh, it had the typical access panel kind of at the ground level, maybe a three-foot door. Uh, but due to a storm, part of the roof had been lifted off or was even missing. So you have to ask, a full-grown cow you would not think would fit in a three-foot by three-foot door. <laughs> but then to take it a step further, how did a full-grown cow get lifted up 15 foot and through the top of the ceiling? Either way, the I think you're Something asking the wrong question, though. No matter what else happened, how does the cow essentially explode? Explode. How, how do you have this cow used? splattered all over the place? That's yeah, the scary part. It's just gross. Now, by the time the men had ran across the farm to investigate this commotion at the corn silo, the creature had vanished without a trace, without even leaving a footprint around. Only the remains of this very fresh, gutted, bloodied cow was left inside. Now, the men took off were... They soon heard the second trap that they had set, reset that night, was being sprung again. They made their way on, they had one of those six-wheeler kind of side-by-side things that they jumped in and put it on high beams and raced across the farm, hoping that they would at least get a glimpse. It appears, as they're coming into this, that you see a silhouette figure, but it gets really weird here. It's not a bear. It's not this mullet mohawk silver striped thing but instead it appears to be a, a man a human definitely silhouette in a gray or black cloak uh, with this cloak pulled over its head and it just kind of like crosses the high beams in this cow trail if you will and then disappears into the woods now this is where the investigation just continues to get weirder and weirder one of the men remained inside of the six-wheeler he had accidentally previously stepped on a board with a nail in it and literally had blood coming out of the top side of his boot so he had kind of stayed back but he, he is there with a gun with the high beam still on the men race forward to where they'd spotted this man in this weird gray cloak and the, the poor dude that's left here with the the nail in his foot or had been in his foot out of the corner of his eye this man is standing right next to this six-wheeler and not like looking at him or doing anything just kind of there in the background so that's one of those moments where you have to change your clothes yep you urinate yourself at, well, at I best would, case scenario yeah, i was gonna say <laughs> i was gonna take it a step further but definitely like that's not good this guy jumps out of the six-wheeler and, and of course he screams you know hey guys guys he's right here he's right here so everybody starts kind of doubling back around now he grabs his gun and he walks just the distance around the backside of this six-wheeler all-terrain vehicle and again this guy's just vanished into the shadows there's no sign of him so the guys you know they run back down the cow trail to meet back up and they're like what was it what was it and you know he's explaining well the guy you were looking for right up there just appeared here but now he's vanished again and at this point in time, they notice kind of down off over the ravine and up on a hill, there is what looks like a campfire burning. And they're thinking, somebody is out here messing with us. You know, absolutely, this, this is a prank. So they make their way down the ravine and back up over the hill. You know, they're shining their spotlights around and they're calling out, you know, hey, who's there? Who's there? What do you want? You know, we're just here doing an investigation. We don't want any problems. They arrive at the top side of this hill, and sure enough, it's a small campfire, and it is described as what you might picture a homeless camp to be. The pictures that I saw, or video footage actually, was like a tarp that was sprung around on some on some tree limbs, kind of resembled a, you know, a, a shelter. There was the campfire, which was no bigger than maybe 18 inches. It was a small campfire. But what was the strangest thing was what looked like 
chunks of bark that had been assembled in a bull's eye pattern suspended hanging between two trees by some grapevines. And this campfire was just kind of shining up on it. Um, now the men approach that and they're taking pictures from the front side, the back side. This thing is like 15 foot tall and it is up off the ground, probably another four or five foot. So again, you would have to have climbed a tree, had ladders, had something to be able to access this level. And it is quite intricate. Um, it's like bark had been stripped off of tree in big chunks, you know, maybe three, four foot long chunks. And literally put into an arrangement, like I said, that looked like rings with a bullseye is the best way I can describe it. Now, one of the, the men, he states that he has seen this symbol before, and he, he calls it, quote unquote, a skinwalker circle. He says, according to Native American Cherokee Indians of the area, they have told him that each skinwalker has this unique symbol. While it is similar, it'll have different markings or like handprints or, and symbols put on it that helps identify them separately. And this is basically a warding for the skinwalker, the beast to say, you know, this is my turf back off, you know? So as the men are kind of walking around these trees and looking at it, they now notice Cherokee symbols that are painted with, again, this white wood ash that you had mentioned earlier on the sides of the tree where this bullseye is assembled, if you will. It is you know, a possibility of a direct tie to a more southern version of the uh, southwestern skinwalker. Now, they do not ever find the man again. There, There's no proof. They don't find any blood here. So there was a lot of uncertainty, but I thought that was weird on so many different ways, from exploding cattle and corn silos to bark bullseyes suspended from trees. It was really weird. That was in West Virginia. Let's say, I know when people think of East Coast states, they usually tend to think of them being heavily populated, developed, and whatnot. You think of New York City and then the coast and all that, but you get just a little inland. I mean, for example, you know, like the the uh, the Carolinas there. Yeah, you know, along the coast, it's all developed and it's it's big cities. Just, I mean, basically, you you could say there's one mega city that just runs from Florida all the way to to Maine if you wanted to, basically. But you get just a little further inland and some of those places are still pretty wild secluded so. forest woods of course down in the virginia kentucky area you got all the appalachian mountains and everything so yeah there's there's probably a lot of hundreds and thousands of acres that you know nobody's really set foot on for a decade or more you know even hunters and stuff in the area for sure so i would tell related of by a man from when he was a child he was out gathering firewood with his uncle so they were driving back after dark and it's about 30 miles per hour on a dirt road uh, when the kid began to feel like he was being watched, and and I guess the uncle noticed kind of right away. Before he could turn to look out the window or anything, the uncle just shouted, "Don't!" And the kid froze. Oh, I remember this. Yes, as he just as he was sitting there, he heard a tap on his window. I remember they're driving like thirty miles an hour down the road, and something's <laughs> tapping on the window. Weird. So the uncle began to speed up, and he started praying in his native tongue. Well, suddenly the truck kind of dips as if some great weight has been thrown into the back of the pickup. And the uncle tells the kid, he says, look at me, just don't turn away. Look at me, don't turn away. Just over and over and over. Uh, and then there's another tap from behind the kid's head on the back window, you know, back to the, the bed of the pickup. Ugh. And after a couple of minutes, the truck kind of dips again as if that weight has, you know, jumped out the back. Uh, the uncle seemed to relax at this point, And then he looked at the kid and he's like, when we get home, we'll ask your father to do a prayer in the morning so that this evil will forget our faces. So the kid... You know, he doesn't think much about that night. You know, kids being kids, 
he doesn't know what happened, but he doesn't really, you know, he doesn't think about it for a while. So later on, as he gets older, he, he's, he calls his uncle one day. And he's, he, he'd had a nightmare about that night. Like, he remembered hearing it and, you know, right. it was stuck in his head. So, he was kind of curious. He wanted I would to think ask. it would be pretty memorable. So, he's talking to his uncle and he, he asks his uncle if what happened that day, if he remembers it. And the uncle kind of tells the story a little bit. He says he never saw faces, only eyes. And the kid asks the uncle, well, why didn't you just step on the brake when it was in the back and, you know, have it fall over the front of the truck or whatever. To which the uncle responds and very seriously because it wasn't alone. All right, I've got a tale of uh, the infamous Skinwalker Ranch. Now, we've talked about Skinwalker Ranch before. There's we actually did an episode on it. All kinds of stuff happening there. Uh, well-known, phenomenal hotspot. Uh, I think Bill's words summed it up the best. I believe he used in the, in the earlier podcast a buffet of okay. strange occurrences. Smorgasbord. Smorgasbord is what, is what you word. said. Okay. A smorgasbord of strange occurrences from UFO, portal gates, ghostly apparitions, and of course our beloved skinwalkers that we're talking about tonight. Now, back in 2010 is when this particular incident takes place. Um, for those of you who may not be familiar with Skinwalker Ranch, it's part of a 512-acre ranch in Ballard, Idaho, formerly known as the Sherman Ranch. Now, here we have military personnel, researcher, and guard Chris Bartell. Now, at the time, uh, he was working for the ranch, and he was accompanying another researcher. They had heard tales of the skinwalker or skinwalker creatures and were quite familiar with uh, the alien and strange encounters uh, afflictions there with the ranch and, and the cattle mutilations and such. The two men had found themselves setting up camp at dusk and felt that they were being watched. Both having military training and background had brought several hunting dogs uh, with them to help secure the ranch uh, for some of the recent cattle killings that had been reported there. And, and they were expecting to find a mountain lion or possibly a wolf. Now, the dogs, who were normally quite active, chasing rabbits and small game uh, throughout the night, on this particular night, they were very docile. They whined and seemed to stay very close to the men during the camp. Now, another thing, they said that just everything seemed off was the word that they used that evening. Uh, they had even said that some of their radios and communication uh, radios that they used were, were having weird things. Now, this is, again, commonly as associated with Skinwalker Ranch. But uh, all night, this type of behavior continued. Now, during this, they heard, like, small gravels moving like amongst the rocks there on the bluffs, twigs snapping as, as well as just feeling uncomfortable that they were definitely being watched all through the night. Finally, at daybreak, the men and the dogs investigated the surrounding areas where, you know, had just had a little bit of light rainfall the day before. So the ground's still moist enough that they were hoping to pick up some tracks. And sure enough, they immediately came across some very large, what they de described as dog or wolf-like tracks, not cat at all. The dogs picked up a scent and they followed the oversized tracks up over the mountain. As they followed, they quickly noticed common four-legged animal tracks suddenly now changed to an upright bipedal type position and they continued to follow now that two track instead of the four track that suggested about a three foot stride in between the footprints to put that into perspective a common man strides about two and a half feet so whatever this thing was it was most likely around the eight foot or taller range they followed the upright tracks for several hundred feet and then they watched again as it appeared to go back down on all fours again. Then they realized that these tracks had led to their exact campsite. <laughs> 
little creepy. As they found out, they found their own tracks where they had left camp that morning, and they noticed that there were fresh wolf tracks that had been pursuing them literally that day. So here they thought they were tracking something and they themselves were being tracked. The hunter becomes the hunter. Oh, we've heard this and seen this before. You know, still they had never seen anything throughout the camp, throughout the morning, only the tracks. So upon dusk, the men decided, okay, well, definitely something going on here. We're going to spend another night and we're going to set up some trail cams this time and we're going to try to gather some more information. They were concerned that this hunt was not going to be for a typical mountain lion or wolf or even a bear, but quite possibly the elusive skinwalker. As the men were making their last rounds, they found themselves on an old dirt road. This is just below their campsite. Now, this particular one had a deep ravine ditch on both sides of the road, and the dogs once again begin to whimper and kind of pull back and join the sides of the men rather than taking you know, the advance as normal. Then they heard it. They said a truly deep gut growl that the men says still haunt them to this day. This growl was from the deep ditch in front of them on the left. Then an estimated nine foot tall, entirely black hair covered wolf slash fox looking creature jumped up out of the ditch, landing quite gracefully in the middle of the road in front of them. The creature possessed great agility, jumping, they said, at about 12 foot up out of the ditch and landing on its back legs upright, slightly squatting, steadying itself with one arm outstretched. I imagine that Facebook meme where you see the squirrel that jumps down out of the tree, you know, the (laughs) superhero superhero pose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now one of the things that they noticed about this, this creature had blue eyes, not the common red eyes that we had actually, or orange eyes that we had talked about earlier. They said it tilted its elongated head and made direct contact with them to say as if, back off. This is my turf. Now, the men stated the creature stood erect on its back legs, kind of sniffed the air, turning its head back and forth, then let out a bone-chilling, unnatural howl, and within moments it then darted off the road down the other side of the ditch, then sprang from boulder to boulder, climbing up the mountainside with the grace and agility of a cat. They said some of the jumps that this thing was making was easily 12 to 15 feet. So, Was it a skinwalker? They said it wasn't a cat, but they described it as kind of a fox-dog-humanoid kind of crossbreed. So that was pretty interesting, I thought. I mean, I I don't remember hearing any other stories where they they got larger than like normal people. Yeah, yeah. So that one's kind of different. And this is saying definitely eight foot. Yeah, that's... That's that's taller than any man that's around these days. We we did talk about dogmen at one point. Yeah, yeah. Now, Bill, I think you've got a some a missionary twist on a couple stories. I've got a couple of stories that were related by Mormon missionaries. Now, I uh, have a little bit of under, history understanding, if you will, about Mormon um, traditions. My wife's Mormon, and so I've I've gone to church with my wife a few times, and I'm familiar with the missionary program a little bit. So, to say that missionary work is always safe would be an exaggeration. Missionary work has always been dangerous, I think. And way back in the days when, you know, you could show up and be murdered and cannibalized by the people you were trying to convert. Yeah. I don't think it's that bad nowadays. But, for example, a good story about this is my brother-in-law went away on mission and he went to Ukraine, which we're familiar with Ukraine now. It's been in the news quite a bit. He served in his mission over there in Ukraine, and I believe one day he got up and he was going to go out with his partner. Missionaries are always paired up. But he was going to go out with his partner. Safety in numbers. Yeah. And there's a word for it, but I'm just going to say partner. But 
they were told, no, you need to stay. You need to stay in today. You don't need to go out. And he's like, well, you know, it's what we got to do. This is what we volunteer for. This is our mission. I'm like, no, you need to stay in. And I guess the night before, maybe, I don't know if it was like a trying to send a message. I don't know if it was a mob thing. I don't know what it was. But apparently the hallway was lined with severed heads outside each door. Wow. That day. So. Like, it, not related to skinwalkers in any way, shape, or form, but just to say that, Scary like, enough. Yeah, no, that that's, yeah, that's bad enough. Room service. But, you know, yeah, like, <laughs> missionary work is not always safe, even at the best of times. And I, and I always make a joke with my wife, you know, when the missionary, missionaries show up at my house, they're not there for me. They're there for her, so I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> so, but, I mean, I'm Honey, sure- it's for you. Yeah, I'm sure most people are familiar with the missionaries and their white shirts and black pants uh, bicycling down and the road. around here, I'm going to say ride a lot of bicycles. But I have two stories, which it seems like the Mormons are are more accepting of other cultures' beliefs. I mean, maybe they don't totally embrace them, but they at least acknowledge them. Open-minded about yeah. it. So one is, is was related by a Mormon missionary, and part of his region was on reservation land. And I guess him and his partner had gone out, and they had been out later than they expected to be. And on their way home, they ran out of gas. And, you know, out in desert country, you know quite a ways without seeing a gas pump, you know. I mean, I, I don't know if you've traveled that direction, yes. but I've definitely yep. have seen the signs where it's like, this is the last gas last for and some odd miles. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, I, I don't care if we got three quarters of a tank. We're yeah. stopping filling up. You just want to be safe. Uh, so anyway, they, they couldn't continue until they got gas, which they did, but by then it was very, very late. I don't know if they walked. I don't know if somebody brought them gas, but you know, eventually they did get some gas for their car. Now, the guy driving, he decides to take a different route. He's going to take some back roads because he's hoping to get home sooner because he doesn't want to be out all night. And he's heard stories. You don't want to be out late at night in some of these places. So he's driving well above the speed limit for some of these back roads when he notices movement in the woods. Now, he thinks it's coyotes at first, and then he, he kind of stops and looks out the window to see what's going on. And when they stop, you know, the companion, his buddy in the passenger seat kind of wakes up. And he's what's going on? And the driver was <laughs> shaken. He says, look, I'll tell you later. And he just lays on the gas and he takes off. And he tells the companion in, in the passenger seat, he goes, just say a prayer. So when they get home, the companion's asking him, man, what happened? What did you see? What's going on? And he's like, I looked down at the road next to the car, and I saw six men running on all fours, keeping up with the car. And I was doing at least 40. That is right out of a horror film. Yeah, that's I, creepy. Wow. Now, the other one, this is one of the first tales that I stumbled upon from missionaries about the, the skinwalker phenomenon. I really like this one. This is one of my, I, I, I thought this was one of the better stories I found. Uh, the missionaries, they're they're out, you know, they're this this pair, and they're covering an area, and part of their area that they cover has the San Carlos Apache Reservation in Arizona. So him and his partner, they had use of a truck. Now, normally, they, you know, we talked about bikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, normally, they, they just bike around because they're in a in an area like a town or something. Right. But, That's but, definitely a little bit more yeah. rugged and rural area. Yeah, these guys had kind of a large area to cover, so they had access to a truck to help them go to. There were other little towns they had to go to, so they were driving town to town. So they're driving back one day. It's around sunset, and, and they had left early on purpose. They had a rule. There was one town that uh, they weren't supposed to stay out after dark due to safety concerns. And, again, it may have been, you know, the missionary work. It may have been offending certain people. I, I don't know what they meant by safety concerns. And, and even Just don't do it. Yeah, just come home <laughs> before dark. So the, the mission, one of the missionaries is driving, and he's describing the area and its quirks to the other missionary who was new to the area. He's kind of, you know, these people believe this and that when you go here. Because they usually know the, the families that will feed them dinner and the places they can go. And they usually help out. So, you know, if people needed assistance, you know, moving or whatever, you know, they would help with things like that. 
So as they're driving along, a huge mangy dog kind of walks into the middle of the road in front of them. The guy driving just lays on the gas. And the guy in the passenger seat, he's freaking out. He's like, man, you got to stop. You're going to hit that dog. <laughs> and the guy driving tells him, he's like, you, you shut up and do not look at it as we shut pass it. Shut up. So, of course, as they get closer, the thing looks less like a dog and more like a person. And he just sits in the middle of the road as they approach. And and at this point in time, the driver they say the driver must have been doing almost 100 miles an hour. I'm not sure what I would do in this point. One, obviously, I love animals, so I'm, I wouldn't try to like <laughs> run over a dog. But at the point where it starts looking more of like a human, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, he's going almost 100 miles an hour, and he just he flies past the thing, whatever it is. The guy in the passenger seat, he makes eye contact, Uh-oh. and he swears up and down that it's smiling at him. Whatever it is, it was smiling <laughs> at him. Said the face was all kinds of messed up. Um, basically, like someone had found a dead dog on the side of the road and put on its skin. Ooh. So that skinwalker thing, really. Ooh. Uh, before he can turn away, the driver hits him in the arm, and he's like, I told you not to look at it. He's like yelling at him. So the guy tries to get another look, but the he creature- He goes back for another yeah, he, look he after the guy's slug bugging him in the shoulder. But the, at this point in time, the creature has kind of loped off into the desert on all fours. And, and even then, he says, moving on all fours, you could tell this was not natural for this creature. He seemed to move in an unusual manner. Ugh. So the guy that had been in the passenger seat tries to convince his com- partner there to tell him, like, man, what was that? What was that? And he's like, no, we don't want to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. So about 11 p.m., they're sitting there. They've kind of calmed down. They're starting to settle down. There's a knock at the door. Their district leader's voice comes from the other side of the door. To give you an idea of why this is not okay, the district leader is stationed in another town, like two hours away. And two, I guess missionaries have like a bedtime, an unofficial bedtime. They're supposed to be in bed. So being out at 11 o'clock, it was, this is already too They got too a schedule. Yeah. yeah. Well, they get up early. and they, yeah. yeah, they've got a schedule. So this is already something unusual is going on. So the guy that was in the passenger seat, he gets up and he starts to go to the door when the other guy grabs him. <laughs> and I mean, he grabs him like in a horror movie, like arm around, arm around his, his face, hand on his mouth, shh, pulls shh. him in, whispers into his ear, if you open that door, we're both going to die. So the guy, the passenger seat guy, he shoulders away from him and he grabs his phone and he calls the district leader. He goes, well, I'll call him. If this is him. We're going to hear the phone ring right here on the other side of the door, probably. So after a couple of rings, the, the district leader answers and he's, you can tell he's like, you know, real sleepy, like, yeah, hello, what's going on? And he's like, the guys, the missionary goes, where, where are you at? And he goes, dude, it's 11 at night. I'm in bed. Where do you asleep. think I'm at? Yeah. Yeah. Where else would I be? So the so guy. You're insinuating it's not him on the other side yeah, of the door. The other side of the door. So the, the missionary, the guy from the passenger seat, he's not sure what's going on and he still thinks this is a joke. Well, yeah, orientation, so, new new guy, yeah. yeah. So he starts walking towards the door. He's going to answer it. His partner, his, the other missionary, the guy who'd been driving, he's like crying at this point. He's begging him. He's like, don't open the door. Don't open the door, man. Just don't. Please don't. Please don't. And the, the leader apparently hears him on the phone, and he kind of hears what's going on. And he's starting to piece it together, and he's telling him over the phone, like, no, don't go to the door, man. Don't go to the door. So finally, the guy holding the phone, he's like, you have to swear to me you're not standing outside my apartment right now. And the leader goes, I can swear. I go, I'll prove it. And he takes a photo of himself with his phone, takes a selfie, time stamped, and sends it to him. And he is terrified. Like, the fear is evident on the leader's face. And he tells him, he's like, man, just don't. And apparently they have some sort of rule about taking pictures on their phones. So he's not supposed to do this. So this is already, he's he, broken the he's rules. He's taboo. He's breaking it here. To prove, yeah. Yeah. This is serious. So once the guy can see that, like, no, this is clearly not the leader. The knocking stops. The voice goes away. Nothing. Nothing else happens. Uh, so they 
they both eventually, I guess, get calmed down enough, which I don't know how you would. I wouldn't be able to sleep. I was like, go back to bed and, and have a yeah. great restful night's sleep. They finally <laughs> managed to go to bed. So the next day, there's like a missionary, I don't want to say conference, but gathering where all the people in the area get together and their their leaders there, their district leader. And so, so the he's guy, driven that two hours or whatever to meet up with them. Well, right? this is at a different location, like, oh, okay, a, okay. like an in-between maybe. Okay. So the guy in the passenger seat, he still thinks they're hazing the new guy. And he goes to the district leader and he goes, man, why Poor would guy. you drive two hours to come out and just mess with me? To that's, prank me, yeah. That's not okay. And that's the, messed up. So at that point in time, the district leader tells him the story of the skinwalker and, and why he's like, I, seriously, I knew you were in danger by what you had told this me. This is what happens when you make eye contact with them. Yeah, you don't, you don't look them in the eye. That's that's a cool story. I I really like that one. I I thought that one was good. I really liked that one. I felt that it kind of again, and these are some. There are some cases that are documented. I found a a book on the Mormon website even where it was you know strange encounters from missionary work. So they absolutely document these things. But yeah, I thought the, I thought that was a very man. If it happened to me, that would have been crazy. I would not have gotten any sleep that night. I I don't care. I would have moved the chairs, the couch, went no, over in front of that door. You don't sleep after that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we hope that you have enjoyed yet another exciting episode that you'll find here on Nightmares on the Lost Highway. And remember, folks, if you see some creepy wolf coyote looking creature, yeah. don't look don't it in, look the, in eyes. the eyes. Don't. Thanks for listening. Did I do the opening on this one? I have an opening. But was, yeah. Well, it was mine. So okay. I, I did openings, but I couldn't remember who actually did it. I so. did it. It's mine, Eric. All right, Bill. This is yours. Let's do what Bill wants to do. Yeah, oh. Oh. Testicles, testicles, yeah, testicles. Booby. Bill, like, clouds mine. He just, look at that. He's like Sasquatch prints up there. Yeah. Look at the microphone. Hey, I'm look, it, it almost matched Bill. I've talked to you about this before. Because <laughs> <laughs> Eric tells his story like this and like this and like this. Yes. So mom's like, why is dad's mic so hard? Because Eric's under the table telling the story, story again. Can you just hold turn the mic here, please? And then the cobra's attacked. <laughs> no, get it in front of you. <clears throat> Sorry, Eric. No, you're not. I'm just jumping in with it. I'm, I'm a bandwagon kind of guy. So. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Oh, a wagon wheel. We'd like to give a shout out to our first uh, paying sponsor, Raven's Loft. That's our family shop here located in uh, London, Missouri. It's your one-stop gaming, vintage toy, and collectible shop where you can find Star Wars, Transformers, G.I. Joe, comics, vinyl records, role-play gaming, Magic the Gathering, and so much more. We're located here at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon, and also in our second location, uh, also here in Lebanon, at the Heartland Antique Mall. We'd like to thank Ravensloft for, again, supporting Nightmares on the Lost Highway. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, <laughs> using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing. And thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, 
terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. Um, and I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.